Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking about we are the kingdom. Uh, and so we'll continue to look at that this morning. And uh, man, Jake has his, him and his water bottle right here. But anyway, let me turn that over there. All right. So Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I want us to continue in that this morning and just see how the Lord is just really wanting to speak uh, to us today, how he already has been speaking to us, not only through our time of worship, but also through this message during this sermon series. I hope that you've been able to really sink in and enjoy uh, of how the Lord has just really been speaking through the Sermon on the Mount. What is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? And so this morning we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 33 through 37. I'm going to read that for us real quick. And then we'll really just kind of dive in uh, to our message this morning. But Matthew chapter 5, let's look at verse 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Let's pray again real quick. Lord God, we thank you. Lord God, thank you for who you are. That you're God, you're sitting on your throne, Lord God. That earth, this earth is your footstool. And all these things are under you, Lord God. And I pray as we look to you this morning, as we just seek you for, for your face and who you are and direction in our lives, I pray, Lord God, that you would just really speak to our hearts. We would lean into you today. I pray through this message, through this word, Lord God, that we would get some understanding, we would get some clarity. Lord God, just as you were instructing these people 2,000 years ago, and your word is still living and alive today and wanting to speak to our hearts today. And I pray, Lord God, just my speech, just my, my, the thoughts and the things that I am, uh, the things that I will be saying this morning, Lord God, would be from you. I pray your spirit would speak to hearts this morning, Lord God, and really challenge us, really convict us, Lord God, and change us in a very powerful way today. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to understand when we look at Scripture overall, it's important for us to know the context of the Scripture. It's important to know what God was saying to them and instructing those whenever He's speaking to them 2,000 or 2,000 plus years ago. And also, what is He trying to accomplish and speak to us today? It's important to take God's Word in its full entirety and in its, in its clarity and to be really clear on what He's saying. When Jesus is talking to these people in the crowd, He is talking to several different groups of people. There's people who have not met Jesus. They have not had a personal relationship with Him. They have, so you have that crowd. Not to say that this crowd is that crowd. And then you have this crowd over here that is truly wanting to learn and know and understand. A lot of his disciples were part of this group. This is the group that really were intrigued and wanted to learn and understand what Jesus was saying. And then there was this religious group 
this religious group that was there that was causing a lot of the, the turmoil, a lot of the, of the problems for Jesus as he was there on the earth, they have a completely different view. And he's really speaking to them and making, trying to make it very clear of what his gospel was about. And so we see when we first started in the chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus stands up there and begins to teach and begins to preach to this, these groups of people, he's trying to make it very clear that the Old Testament law, that he's not coming against that. You know, the Pharisees were already teaching that Jesus was, was really trying to go against their teachings, the teachings of Moses, the Old Testament commandments and, and the, God's law. And Jesus makes it very clear that he was coming in, the, in chapter 5, the beginning of it, that he was coming to fulfill the law. He, he's telling, telling them that he's not coming to destroy it, but yet to fulfill it. Then he starts telling them when it comes to the, uh, you have kept the uh, Ten Commandments by saying you shall not murder. And Jesus goes in a little bit deeper that even just having, having anger in your heart towards your brother, that's even really breaking that same commandment. And so he talks to them and gets a little deeper in and really gets a little bit more clarity in those things. And even about marriage of how Moses had given them the certificate of marriage. And Jesus goes a little bit deeper. And we saw that last week with Brother Jacob of how he's clarifying and understanding what a relationship is and what it's all about and what Jesus was, how he built the home. And then now when we get to this passage of scripture, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and these Christians and these non-Christians, these seekers of the Lord, he is telling them and wanting to clarify what he was talking about when he talks about these oaths. And when he tells them this in, in verse 33, he says, you should not fall, uh, swear falsely. He's not talking about using profanity here. He's talking about the Pharisees. This is what they were doing. They were saying, you know what? We understand if we really say that God said this, if we really just said God is the one that's spoken to me, and it doesn't come to pass and it's really not from God, they knew the consequences. They knew the severity of that. So they tried to find loopholes around it. you got to understand the thing is about, about God, God's an originator. God is the one that created all things. God is the one that has given us his truth, his word. He has given it to us in black and white. He has made it very clear to us. Satan is not an originator. Okay, He's an imitator. And I didn't come up with that. I'm not an originator on that saying. Okay, Satan will come and take what God has done and he will just slightly change it. He will pervert it enough and change it enough where it derails us from what God had intended in the first place. And man takes it. Satan will take it and change it just a little bit and pervert it just a little bit. Things that were good are no longer good because of the way Satan works. And so what he does here, the Pharisees, they take God's uh, word and they take these truths that God has, has given them and they'll start to swear by these things and put people under this condemnation and they'll swear by, but they won't use God fully. They won't, sure, they won't say automatically that it's from God. They'll say, I'll swear upon uh, this earth. Oh, I'll swear you've heard it said in our term, you know, in our, uh, in our day and age of, uh, I swear upon my dead mother's grave. You know, people use those phrases all the time. Right. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing. And God is making it very clear. Listen, you think you're knocking it out of the park. You think you're being good by this. You found a little loophole. God's saying, listen, it doesn't matter what you're going to swear by. He says, don't swear at all, because if you swear upon heaven, he said, that's where my throne is. 
God says, that's where I rest. So if you're going to swear upon heaven, he goes, that's where I am sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning this earth. And so if you swear by heaven, you're still swearing by God. And then you, you come up, you be a little bit more clever and say, I'm not going to swear by heaven because, yes, that's where God is. I'm going to swear by this earth. I'm going to swear by the things on this earth. And God says, that is where my footstool is. I love when he says that because it really gives some clarity and some really understanding to where we are on this earth and how God just even looks at this. You know, the Bible tells us that when we're, whenever we are a Christian, we're with him and our spirit and who we are should be with him in the heavenlies. And so we're, we're looking at it from a heavenly view onto this earth where we are living each and every day. And God says earth and the things that are happening on this earth that really bother us. Right. We'll get into more of that right now of what you and I run into every day because life is tough. Life is hard. And for God, guess where it's at? It's just it's just comfort on his feet. He said it's his footstool. That's where it's at. In other words, God ain't isn't bothered. Ain't God isn't bothered. Everybody all right this morning? God isn't bothered, and it doesn't take God by surprise the things of this world and the things that happen on this earth. I say that to you to bring you comfort this morning, because as we're going through life and we're going through trouble and we're going through things that this old earth will give us. It's not rattling God at all. And so God says, don't swear. When he says that, though, understand in the in the whole scope of things and the whole thing as far as in God's view, earth is his footstool. But he's telling them here, he says, don't swear by it because you know what? It's under my control. You can't get around it. It's still mine. He continues on. He says, don't swear by Jerusalem. He says, because uh, many people were doing that. Jerusalem was a holy righteous city to them. And so if they say, you know what, they're not going to they're not going to swear by God, but I'm going to swear by Jerusalem because that held some weight because of what Jerusalem meant to them. And it, and it did mean to uh, mean a lot to them and it should have meant a lot to them. And but God saying, that's my city. So if you're going to swear by my city, you're still swearing by me. And so he continues on. He says, don't even swear by that. He says, don't swear by your own head, because guess what? He says that head of yours it's really mine. It's my creation. And even if you swear by that, you can't even change the direction of those things. He uses black and white hair and all that. I don't even know what that means, but uh, it's just it's just bald or or hair in my in my terminology. Right. But he's saying you can't even change that. You can't even change the color of your hair. If your hair's turning white, getting a little bit older, you can't just pray it enough and, and just uh, say it in a way and swear by it to get it to, uh, get it to go back black. He's saying you don't have that kind of power. And so when you swear by those things, he goes, you're really swearing by me still. And he says, just simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, I want to take it a little deeper this morning. I want us to turn in our Bibles and it's going to be on the screen this morning. But James chapter five. And I love how James tackles the same thing and he takes it a little bit from a different perspective this morning. Because James is going to say it in a way whenever we get to it in James chapter, uh, James chapter five and in verse 11, James is going to talk about this. Yes, let your yes be yes and your no, no. He talks about it in a way of trials and tribulations. He talks about it in a way of trials and tribulations. And I want us to understand that he's talking about of, of how uh, uh, how we should walk through life and how we should deal with problems and how we deal with issues in our life and how we come through it and we persevere and get to the other side. Guess what? There's no way other way around in order for us to get that wisdom and to really get experience. 
We've got to go through a lot, of, a lot of junk. We've got to go through a lot of life. We've got to go through a lot of hills. We've got to go through a lot of valleys to get to the other side as we go through things. A lot of times when things come up in our lives, can we be just real this morning? We're automatically asking God to take those trials and tribulations and those problems, just take it away from us. Can we just be a little honest this morning? I know we have our Sunday best on, uh, but can we be just a little honest this morning? And when trials and tribulations come in our life, we're automatically asking God to just take them away. Instead of asking God, God, what are you wanting to show me through this? Maybe God will take it away. Maybe that's what the greater prayer is in that situation is for God to relieve it and take it away. And there's answer prayer in that. I'm not telling you us not to. But also, God, if you choose to bring me through this mess, if you bring me through this trial and tribulation, God, what are you trying to show me and teach me through that situation? Because sometimes, listen, most of us in here, the majority in here are parents or grandparents, and you have tried to teach your children or some of you are school teachers in here, you have tried to teach the students the right way. You have tried to teach your kids the right way and try to maybe not go through the same roads and the same difficulties that you have gone through to learn the hard lesson. And sometimes, guess what? They have to go through it themselves to learn those lessons. And so that is what James focuses in on this morning. And I'm telling you, this is so good when we read these two verses uh, this morning. It says in, in verse 11, it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Like the people who actually endure and get to the other side, we just think they're the greatest thing. And when we go through those situations and circumstances and we look back and we're so thankful that we've been able to go endure through those things. But in order to endure through those things is the hard work. You know, I was very proud that I ran a... Uh, I don't know if I don't want to say ran. I struggled through and I finished a half marathon in December. And you look at me and you say, how in the world did he finish a half marathon? Uh, I struggled through and I got done and I finished a half marathon uh, in December. I don't I lost my point. I'm so I'm so tired already thinking about it. But in order for me to get to the end, I remember getting to mile, uh, it's 13.1 miles, getting to mile 10. And I was running it in Greywood subdivision, so it was just kind of like going down different streets, different little neighborhoods inside of the bigger neighborhood of Greywood. And where my vehicle was parked, where my vehicle was parked, it was right there on the road, pretty close to where we started, but that was only about mile 10. And when I passed it, I wasn't running with the people that I started. They were already way ahead of me. And whenever I'm passing my truck, a thought came into my mind. I'm at mile 10. Nobody really expected me to make it to this point. Like it's a victory for me to just even still get in my truck and just drive off and say, guys, I made 10 miles. That's more than I've ever run in my life. I'm good. And for me, I had to make that decision and I passed up my truck and it was a sad moment because I'm telling you what, the last three miles, that's when they tell you the race starts, you know, for a half marathon. Because that's when the, that's when the, 
the, uh, the hard work really, really begins. It's just, it's just grit to try to get done. You're just, you're just trying to get done at that point just to say you got done. And so whenever I got to the very end, I was proud of the, the fact that I finished it. And I was able to say I finished that half marathon versus, oh, I made 10 out of 13. And so when I got done, I was able to say that I endured it through the end. I finished it. I wasn't celebrating it at mile 10, 11, 12, and 13. It took me just to the, uh, the pure will and the pure grit to just try to get through it and to struggle. I don't know how I did it. It took me a long time to even get in the car and to drive home and to even recover in order to just, it's not even putting it in drive anymore in the truck. It's just pushing it in drive for it to drive itself for the most of the way home. It took me a little bit to even get to that point. But you know what? It took a lot of hard work to go through it to say that I got to the other side. And James is focusing in on that. He says, indeed, we counted blessed them blessed who endure, who have heard of the perseverance of Job. He uses Job as an example and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's saying when you're going through the mess and you're going through the struggle of life. He's saying the Lord is very compassionate and he's very merciful. Now, listen, when you're going through that mess and you're going through hard times and you're going through these difficult circumstances, David is the best because David, if you read the book of Psalms and you know what David has gone through, when you read the book of Psalms and you see David's frustration because David is crying out to God and God said that he's very compassionate. He's very merciful. And God and David's saying, whenever I'm in the middle of the storm and I'm in the middle of these trials and tribulations, that when I cry out, when I cry out to God and I ask God for direction, many times God is silent. You ever been like that in a situation? You been out like that in a storm? I know like for me, I was looking around. My friends were not around at mile 10, mile 11. And I felt alone. I felt by myself. And many times as we go through life, we're feeling alone. We're feeling by ourselves. And the Bible's telling us here. And David, let me tell you this. It was okay to be honest to God. David was honest with God. God, I don't feel you. God, you're nowhere around. God, it seems like you're not there at all. And so David questioned God. David asked God these things. And when God would come through, he would not only help David in those situations, he would let him see and understand and pull back heaven a little bit of what he was even up to during those things. And James is telling us here, James is telling us, listen, that God, when we're in the middle of those things and those storms and those tribulations, he's very compassionate and he's very merciful to us. He's good to us even in those things, because when he's silent, that's when faith can really run. That's when faith can really rest on who God is. And see how much we really are going to trust him in the middle of it. You know, for again, I'll use a, uh, uh, us as far as parents and dealing with, with, with children. We see our kids. We know that we're not going to let them harm themselves, get them in a self in a situation. But sometimes it's good, even when you've you ever, ever taught your kids or taught someone how to ride a bike. And at some point, it's okay to let them give them that little bit of nudge and that little bit of push for that bike and them to go by themselves without those training wheels. And you know what? They may fall. But sometimes in that falling and sometimes in that scary uh, part, wherever they're shaking their, their bike a little bit and then it begins to go steady, 
There's great compassion. There's great mercy in that moment, even when it's silent and it's alone. And that is what James is telling them here. Let me continue on because I can stay all day on these. In verse 12, it says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. It really seems out of place. And you do any kind of study on this, it, it just seems so out of place that James uses this. Because he says, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. He says, because when you do this, he says, uh, he says uh, or with any oath, he says, but just simply let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. In the middle of those storms, we find ourselves begin when we get pressed on certain things. You ever, you ever find your way in a situation where it's just a, a, between a rock and a hard place, as we say, and you get asked or you get pressed on certain things? Maybe it's by your boss. Maybe it's by your spouse. Maybe your spouse is your boss. Anyway. Rob, you, you with me this morning? All right. Uh, whoever it is, and you just feel pressed up against it, and, and you get asked certain questions that maybe you don't have answers for, and you just begin to just really just f start saying things, right? We're in the middle of a storm, and we're asking God to get through, uh, us to get through those things, and we start making all kinds of promises. We start making those, those prison wall promises. God, if you get me out of this situation, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. God, if you do this and this and this, and boy, we start swearing upon heaven, earth, everybody, right? We start swearing upon everything to get us out of this situation. God, you know I will never miss church again. God, you know I'm going to start tithing. God, you know I'm going to start helping my neighbor. I'm going to start being all these people, all these promises right in the middle of the storm. James says, you know better than that. And James is saying, you just need to lean into the Lord. You need to see him for who he is. Whenever he says this in this verse, he gives us a great example of Job. Whenever he uses Job, Job is just one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I believe Job's story was a real situation, a real man. And it gives us great insight of how God deals in mankind's life. And it talks about the communication between God and Satan himself. And you remember the story in the first three chapters, you, in, the, in the very first chapter, you see that Satan has, uh, has come, he has access to the throne of heaven, and he's in communication with God, and, he's, and God says to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Right? You remember that? He said, have you noticed my servant Job? And, and Satan said, yeah, I've noticed him. He says, but you have such a great hedge of protection around him. Of course, anyone in that situation is going to praise you because you're just constantly blessing this individual. And God said, no, that's not the situation with Job. I know that I have Job's heart. Job's not worshiping me because of what I give him. I give him things because I have his heart. I have given this hedge of protection around him because I know he's been faithful to me. Satan says, I'll prove it to you. He says, allow me to attack him. Allow me to go after him. And so listen, when we look at these things in, in Job's life, I want us to understand things in our life. Because guess what? Those things that are coming after us, it may be God is the one that is doing these things in our life. Maybe God is doing these things in our life for us to understand, see him clearly, so that we can go through these situations and trials and tests in our lives 
so that we can see him clear. So that we can really rest in him and trust in him. Maybe God is allowing Satan to come in and hit these areas in our life because maybe like he was trying that Satan was trying to prove to God is maybe the only reason we're blessing God in these areas is because God is already blessing us. Sometimes we begin. We saw this in the life of Abraham, right? Abraham gets his son Isaac and God says, take that one you love, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him. Because he started to worship the blessing versus the blesser, the one that gave the blessing. He started to worship his blessing and gave everything into his son. And he started to pour everything into this one child. And he started to leave out God is what's assumed there. Until Abraham goes to put his son on the altar. And when he raises it up, God says, don't. Because I have you. And you're starting to worship me, who is the one that gives versus the gift. And it's important for us to have God, not of what he can give to us, but who he is. We don't want to just serve a a glorified Santa Claus. We want to worship God for who he is because he's God and he loves us and cared for us. He loved us before we even came close to loving him. And so for uh, for Job, Satan comes after him. God's acts, uh, uh, Job, uh, Satan, excuse me, has access to Job to take his health, uh, excuse me, to take his wealth. He goes after him. His servant comes back to him, reports to him that you have lost all these different animals. You have lost all your so much of your possession and he strips it away from him. And yet Job doesn't curse God. He comes after the things that you know what that we work so hard for. Job had worked hard for those things. He worked hard to provide for his family. He was a very wealthy man because God was protecting it. God was making it flourish. And now those things had been stripped away from him. And even taking those possessions away from him, he still didn't curse God. He saw God through those trials and through those tribulations. He was still very thankful for what he did have. And Satan reports back and he says to God, he says, but let me go after his family. Now, I can only imagine, not in a good way, I can only imagine of what it must have been like whenever he loses his children. They say that it is one of the most, uh, uh, one of the things that you cannot really get over. Uh, We have a close friend, Lisa and I, uh, Colin and Gina Wimberly, uh, that lost their teenage son. This has been a while back, but she she posted something yesterday on Facebook. He was a teenager in high school. He was, I think, in 11th grade. And uh, this was our this was our pastor and the pastor's wife when we were in Monroe. And they lost their teenage son. Uh, really a freak accident. Just one day he was just doing his normal, you know, regular teenage stuff. And they realized there was something going on with his heart. By the end of the day, they had lost him. And so she shared yesterday on her Facebook post of that it doesn't get any easier. And, and she, shared, she shared that some days it's really unbearable. So Job and his wife, they lose all their children. And he really attacks them. And even through that, Job is just, you know, he's looking. His friends are questioning him. His wife is questioning him. What have you done? What have you done that God has attacked you in this way? And Job Job just doesn't 
curse God, doesn't blame God. He's asking the same questions. He's, he's looking. It's important for us to look internally, right? It's important for us to see, is there something that I, that I am just not being honest with the people around me? Is there something that I'm not being honest with between me and God that I really need to confess and bear to the Lord? And really confess to the Lord. And there was nothing. And yet God allowed Satan to attack him and to take his children. And then we see the last thing, he takes his health. And I started to think about this because in this way, you want to just kind of curl up, right? And you just want to just, you just want to, you know, whether it's in the fetal position or whether it's just laid out and just on your face, just crying out to God and just saying, God, why is these things happening? And you, maybe you want to find comfort in just being able to just weep and cry and just and to be in that kind of situation and just to lay out that way. And you just don't know where to put yourself. And when your health is even in a worse condition then all of those other, I mean, your health is in a terrible condition. The Bible tells us that he had balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He couldn't even find comfort. He couldn't even find a place to even rest, to even cry, to even just weep and to even have sorrow of, of what has transpired and what has happened in his life. His wife tells him to just curse God and die. What a loving wife, right? That's what she was there for, right? She said, just curse God and die, Job. I mean, she wasn't joking about it. She's lost her children as well. She's lost her wealth as well. She sees her husband suffering. She's like, something is happening. Job, it'd been better. Job had actually cursed the day that he died. I mean, that he was born, excuse me. He's like, you know, I hate the fact that I even was born. And, and, and this situation happened. But he also says, he goes, naked I came into this world. And naked I'll leave out of this world. He said, and the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job's sitting there wondering too. He doesn't have insight of what's going on. The, like I said, the first three chapters, you see all of this distress in Job's life. And you, if you were to read Job chapter, uh, Job, uh, Job uh, chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 through uh, 31, just this long situation that he's in a constant debate between him talking to God and then him talking with his friends. His friends said, Job, something, you must have done something. His wife is saying, Job, you must have done something. Please curse God and die. It's just been better off in that situation in verse and not until we get to chapter 38 of this long book from chapter 38 through chapter 42 when God gives him this place of deliverance. And so as we go through trials and we before we talk about that deliverance, when we go through trials, when we go through these tribulations in our life, we don't know where we're at. And I've said this before, even without before studying this, because just knowing the life of Job. We don't know if we're in chapter 31, 32, or 37, or 38, or 37, excuse me, the last one, in our life, in our circumstances, in our situations. We don't know where we're at in that journey, if you get where, if you get where I'm saying. Job didn't know. Job didn't know that the next day was going to turn around for him. And Job didn't know even thousands of years later that everybody would be clapping and be excited and be encouraged by his endurance through the hard times and through getting through these difficult times and getting to the other side of it and seeing that I finished this race. Job's in the middle of it. 
He's in chapter 37. And so wherever you are in your situation in your life, I don't want to be a bad friend to you like his three friends were. I want to encourage you. I do want to take a little bit of where they were at with the friends said, Job, if there's something in you that is causing God to come against you in this situation, because sometimes God is doing things in our life to get our attention so that we would see him and we would see areas in our life that we really need to give over to him. But even if there isn't, I want to be a friend to you. I want to be an encourager to you to say, trust God through it. Confess whatever there it may be in your life, but also trust him. Lean into him and be close to God. This is not a time for you to be far away from God. It was not a time for Job to be far away from God. He needed to lean into God because guess what? God was his only hope. If God wasn't coming through, he was sunk. And true faith is understanding, you know what? God, I need to lean in on you. I need to trust you. And if you don't come through, I'm sunk. And if you don't come through, God, guess what? I'm still going to praise you anyway. Let me say that again. Even God, if you don't come through, I'm still going to praise you because God's still good to us. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He says, because the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. It's not about those giving and taking away. It's about the Lord. And about his faithfulness. He's done enough for us to praise, to praise him for the rest of our lifetime. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't bless us anymore. And so when we look at this and we understand what he's telling Job in the middle of it. And then chapter 38, even when he gives them the things that he was going to bless him with. Because he endured to the end. There's nothing like it when you endure through the end. And you wanted to give up. I started a new job a year and a half ago. I got a new position in my, in my uh, sales career. And um, only Lisa, Jake, and my brother knew in the first few months I wanted to quit. Like, I wanted to quit. Because it's not what I signed up for. It was a big challenge. And... And, and, and each day I'm, I'm kind of waking up and being like, what did I just put myself in? Because even the whole reason that I got into this profession is to lean on the things that I'm, I'm so-called good at, communicating and talking and relationships and personality versus talking to banks and talking and looking at numbers and uh, different things like that. It's not, my, it's not who I am. And through those challenges, if I would have given up, you know, I, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been where I am today. Not that I'm in anywhere, but you know what? Those things started to subside. Those things started to pan out where I started to learn and I started to understand why I'm even in this position at all. Why people put me in this position. And so for me to go through those things, if I would have quit, I would have never learned. I would have never gotten through it. And so that's why it's important for, for you to lean into people and to confess those things. But also, you know what? It's only when you get through those things that you'll learn. And you'll see what God was even up to that you were so discouraged in the beginning. Why God allowed you to go through those things. And when, when I love this, though, about God, because sometimes we just think about God. And, you know, as we deal with our children and when we understand that they know that they've done wrong, it's important for us to teach in those lessons before we automatically grant, not grant, but automatically 
just say, you're good to go. Let's move on. It's important for them to learn in that situation before they just automatically move on. It's a great teaching moment during that time. And God uses that in chapter 38. He tells him in Job chapter 38, verse 4, right before he gives them all these blessings because of his endurance through all of it all, he reminds Job, he asks him a question. Job, where were you whenever, whenever I formed this earth? In the foundations of the earth, Job, where were you? Man, what a... I just, that blows my mind. Can you imagine God asking you that? Like, you have all these things together, right? You know all these things and you're questioning me. And God says, okay, where were you whenever I formed this earth? And then he continues on. God doesn't stop there. He continues on in, in uh, the next verse. And, and who determined where the water should stop? Who determined where this earth was, go- where, where this mountain was going to stop? He just continues on. He's just like, Job, where were you? Did I ask permission from you? Or, and Job, did, I, did you tell me where all these things were going to line up? And he says, Job, he goes, the number of animals. He goes, the earth, all of these things. And Job basically responds to him. He, he, waits, till, he waits until uh, uh, verse uh, chapter 40. He says, I really just, just, I need to hand over my mouth to you, God. That I would understand that, you know what, when we question God, and it's okay to question God, I mean, you're not going to get zapped, I don't believe, but just be ready for the answer. As long as when God answers it, you're ready for the answer. Because whenever he does this, and whenever he, Job responds to him, Job says, I understand, God, I understand that you're in control. And even when I cannot see the hand of God and don't know what God is doing as far as his blessing to me or against me. And I don't understand the hand of God. Guess what you can always understand and what you could always trust is the heart of God. And God wanted him to make sure that he knew in this teaching moment before he blesses him. Job, even when you don't see my hand at work, trust my heart. Trust me. Because I'm in control. The earth is my footstool. I'm on my throne in heaven. I'm not shaken by these things. Job, even when you're shaken, I'm not shaken. Trust me. And for the most part, Job trusted him. And God gives him a double portion of the possessions that he had. The possessions that he had, he gives him a double portion. He gives him the number of kids, and I wanted to look it up because I forgot. Somebody could help me later. It's either seven or ten. I can't remember the number. But he gives him, let's say there's seven children. He gives him an additional seven children. And he gives him, the Bible tells us, uh, long age as far as time on the earth. He blesses him with a double portion of all of those things. You know why he didn't give him the double amount of kids, by the way? Because his kids were alive and well. He gives him another set of kids here on this earth. The other children are in heaven. And he gives him a double portion of his possessions. And he gives him long life. And he double blesses him of everything that he took away from him because of his faithfulness. Because of his endurance. Because he didn't curse God, as his advice was given to him. 
And so for us, what does that say to us today? When we look at Matthew chapter 5 and we look at those couple of verses and he just simply says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. The only way that we can be sure of the things that we're saying and we're doing is to be sure in the Lord. He is the one that's in control. The only way that I can get anything accomplished, the only thing, the only thing in my mouth, there, there's certainty and there's, there's uh, you can take it to the bank is if God is the one leading and guiding my life and I'm leaning into him. And through those situations and through those circumstances, God is the one that is leading and guiding me and giving me direction. And I'm just following after him. And so if I'm saying yes to something, it's because I'm just being led by God. If I'm saying no to something, it's just because I'm being led by God. It's not on my own situation. It's not you pressing me on it. Because let me tell you, there's nothing more exciting when you know the answer. If you get pressed on something and you know the answer and you can just simply just say it without any repercussions, it's whenever you don't know and you start to skate around it and you start to make up things and you start to talk too much because you're trying to convince that person or that situation that you have it all together. It's when we just continue and continue like I am right now. Instead of having a clear a very, very clear understanding of what God is speaking to me and clearly communicate those things. When you're sure in the Lord, you'll be sure in the directions that God has for you. And so as we look at this, and just to reference James one more time and we'll be done. Because it sure is nice whenever James just throws you a shout out like he did for, for, uh, for Job. In verse 11 of chapter 5, verse 11 in James, he says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, who have heard of the perseverance of Job. We have heard of the perseverance of Job. The only way he perseveres, the only way he gets through it is by just trusting in and leaning on the Lord and has seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and very merciful. Know that even if you don't feel the Lord right here, right now, in the middle of your situation and storm, to know that he's there. He cares for us. He cares for us in salvation. The Bible says that when we were enemies against him, enemies against him, he still loved us and cared for us. What does that mean? Whenever we were a child, whenever we were maybe an adult, Without fully knowing God and trusting in Him for a relationship, the Bible says that we were enemies against God. We were going against Him. Even of us going against Him, the Bible tells us that God knew that, understood that, knew our position against Him, and yet He still died for us. Yet He still loved us in the middle of that situation. And so if He loves and cares for us in that situation, when we were enemies with him. Now you, maybe you're in the situation, hopefully this morning, that you have trusted him with your life. You've given him your all. And yes, we'll fall short. Yes, we'll have situations and circumstances that we won't trust him, that we won't lean into him. But we're still his child. And when we don't feel him and we don't see him, the Bible's telling us he still has compassion for us. He's still very merciful to us. And the big thing is he's still very loving to us. 
And so I hope we understand that whether you're a person who's never trusted him as your as as his as your personal Lord and Savior. I pray that you would trust him today that you would know how much he loves and cares for you. And if you're a believer this morning, listen, let's not try to fool anyone. We're all going through different things in our life. I don't care if you're 12 years old in this room or if you're a lot older. You're going through things in your life, whether it's about family, whether it's about health, whether it's about finances, whatever it is, you're going through things in your life. Let's not pretend. But we need, especially as God's children, to lean into him and trust him. I'm going to say what I said a while ago. Even when we don't understand and don't see the hand of God in it, we can trust his heart. Let's pray this morning as the worship team comes up. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you for allowing us to just see this passage of Scripture in its, just in its context of what you were trying to say not only on the Sermon on the Mount and clearing up what the Pharisees were teaching, Lord God, but also, Lord God, what James was showing us about your yes being yes, our yes being yes, and our no, no. That we would understand, even going through trials and tribulations in our life, Lord God, that you were there. You were teaching us, you were showing us, Lord God. And I pray, sometimes it's those trials and tribulations in our life and circumstances and different things happening because you want us to see that we need a relationship with you. Lord, if that's someone here this morning, Lord God, I pray today would be the day of salvation where they would just turn to you, trust in you, lean into you this morning, Lord God. And they would, they would finally just give their lives over to you. And many in this room, Lord God, believers, maybe for a short period of time or a long period of time, Lord God, we know we go through trials and tribulations in our life in different areas and different situations that we may be in right now. Whatever we find ourselves at today, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you for healing. We can trust you for, uh, for continual just, uh, whether it's finances, Lord God, whether it's a job situation, those situations we can just trust in you, Lord God, lean into you this morning. Whether it's family situations that we're dealing with in our lives, Lord God, we can lean in to you for direction, for help. We have to be honest this morning that we, we can't save ourselves into a relationship with you. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it at all. And we can't do it on our everyday walk with you without you, Lord God. We, we need you, and I pray, Lord God, as we respond during this time that we would get honest with you, we would be true to you this morning, and we would just lean in to, for you to help us and lead us and guide us. Again, Lord God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand this morning.